All right, I'm here today with Professor Kevin Kryzek, Professor of Transport in the Programs of Environmental Design and Environmental Studies, who analyzes the design of cities and transportation alternatives. Recently, Kryzek did an interview with CU Boulder today about how COVID-19 could change our relationship with streets and cars in cities. Um, and we just are here to talk a little bit about that today. Um, so thank you for joining us. Thanks, John. Happy to be here. So in your interview with Seaboulder today, you mentioned a kind of aha moment that happened back in March when the public saw how empty our streets had become in the wake of COVID and uh, reduced travel under stay-at-home orders and quarantining and working from home. Um, so how do you kind of describe that realization that some members of the public, uh, government officials had when they saw all this space? Well, you have this opportunity where, you know, people look at this area that sits between uh, buildings or per perhaps uh, between property line owners, uh, between property lines. And typically that space is just relegated to moving cars. That's all we think about for that space. Uh, and then when the uh, pandemic hit and stay at home orders really kind of took a, a place, you know, there was no more reason for that space to be used just for cars. And so we had this opportunity that really kind of presented itself to see oh, you know, if we don't need to move cars, we could use that space for alternative purposes. Uh, we could use it for social distancing. We could use it for kind of getting outside. We can use it for kind of supporting uh, other types of forms of, of, of getting around in, in cities. And it wasn't until that we actually saw how quickly that space uh, transformed many people, uh, in public dec uh, decision makers, public officials, and, uh, the, you know, citizens alike, we're like, whoa, you know, there's a lot of space out there that is really just, we took for granted that was only exclusively uh, where cars were given the, the, the primary prerogative. And, you know, when you tally it all that up, it's uh, somewhere on the order, depending on the city, about a third of the total land area, uh, which we've basically given over to this single form of, of, of getting around town. And there's a lot of other purposes that that public space could be used for. And I think that the, the, the pandemic really allowed people to kind of see that uh, in, plain, in, in plain sight, more so than in any other recent time in history. And with that kind of repurposing of streets, um, we've seen, for example, as you mentioned, social distancing on places like Pearl Street and Boulder. Um, in your interview, you also mentioned Paris, which had restricted motorized traffic and opened up more areas for things such as biking. Um, now, do you think that this kind of repurposing of streets could continue after the pandemic is over, um, seeing as we're now getting more vaccine news and we're hearing more about um, potentially uh, kind of the end of the pandemic coming within the next few months um, from some in warp speed? Uh, do you think that that practice of kind of repurposing these streets could continue or do you think it might go back to normal afterwards? Do you think we'd kind of turn it back over to cars um, from what you've seen? And that's a great question. I think that we're going to see a little bit of both. Um, the progressive cities across the world and across the U.S., uh, they are already starting to make their changes permanent. Uh, they're hardening some aspects of it. Uh, even here in Denver, there's a lot of talk uh, within the planning office, the transportation office, about moving uh, to, from that kind of more temporary street openings uh, with, you know, these kind of classic sandwich board signs or even glorified barricades to more hardscaping, maybe actually starting to play with the, the concrete and starting to uh, come up with different uh, street designs and engineering standards. 
for those specific areas. So uh, I think we're, we're going to see this uh, in certain cities continue to play out and other cities are going to be a little bit uh, slower to the, the, the table uh, to make some of these kind of realizations. But the, the important thing that we often kind of lose sight of is that there is so much space in cities devoted to moving cars. And just by appropriating and kind of chipping away at some of that space here, there, uh, we can really kind of open up a new type of city uh, for people to realize. So you mentioned that more progressive cities are already working to make some of these changes a little more permanent um, and already kind of setting these things more in stone, uh, so to say. Uh, do you feel like there's any reason why um, more progressive cities have decided to make these changes permanent? Well, a lot of, you know, change is hard for everybody. Uh, it's always, you know, what am I going to lose? How am I going to, how is, how is this going to make my life better? And the, um, you know, the more progressive cities, and by, by that I mean like the Portlands, the Seattles, uh, to a certain extent the San Francisco's, and I think, I think we, uh, there's enough evidence to suggest that Denver's right up there now. Um, you know, you're dealing with a population who has been exposed to these types of conversations for time and time again. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's been on the kind of front burner in, in terms of how can we readjust the expectations of streets that are going to be better able to accommodate uh, the environmental uh, aspects that we need to consider, the safety aspects that we need to consider, the justice aspects that we need to consider. And those places have been having these types of conversations for some time, and the COVID uh, kind of uh, has really allowed that those cracks to, to play out and for that kind of new street purposing uh, to actually come to fruition. Now with the changes we've seen thus far, would you personally want these kinds of changes to stay in place? Would you personally want to see these, the continued repurposing of these streets? So, you know, there's kind of what I think that is, uh, you know, a good idea. And there's also the kind of aspirin qualities that, you know, the most vital and livable cities are, are doing. Um, there's not that much difference between the two. Uh, I think there's enough evidence to suggest that the more that we design our public spaces and our streets around cars, the less it is going to be more, uh, le less of a livable environment, the less of a vital environment, and it creates all sorts of kind of complications with respect to uh, providing the requisite infrastructure. So as we realize that there is more than adequate space, generally spoke, uh, in terms of um, devoted to, to, to car travel, and we're realizing that there's other purposes that can be uh, prescribed, you know, there's generally kind of two categories uh, that we see. The first is more kind of business development, allowing the restaurants to spill out and um, uh, turning that type of uh, space, you know, transforming it, transforming it from, for example, parking spaces to cafes uh, or, um, and that, and that, that is certainly one theme that we've seen in these uh, business, in these kind of street, um, emergency street responses. A second one is trying to transform that into space that is allowed for uh, transportation purposes and not necessarily auto-reliant transportation purposes. So, you know, bikes or e-bikes or kind of these other kinds of forms of micro-mobility. Micro and trying to stitch together a uh, kind of a patchwork quilt of different uh, improvements across the city is the main challenge that a lot of these uh, municipalities are kind of wrestling with. So rather than have these disparate 
blocks that, you know, on one side of town uh, make, make a kind of temporary bike lane and another side of town make another temporary bike lane. But those two temporary bike lanes don't really have any kind of network quality to connect them. Uh, is there an opportunity to stitch each of those together in ways that allow people to, you know, start to see their city in a new light? And part of that might also play into kind of pedestrian safety. In your CU Boulder Today article, I believe you also mentioned how pedestrian deaths have been a constant issue um, in considering some of these streets. Yeah, the safety element is a big one. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And when you think about the, um, you know, two pedestrians or cyclists die every hour on U.S. streets, you know, and that's really sparking a, mount, a mounting kind of national crisis. And this, this number blossoms to 40,000 people per year when we consider all the different types of crashes, regardless of the type of mode. So there is a national crisis that's brewing and it's getting worse. It's not getting better. Now we have to realize that, you know, many factors are, are, are feeding this trend. Um, and not to, not to be overlooked is the role of, of vehicle size, you know, which means that it, as the vehicles get larger uh, and when crashes that do happen, should they occur, they're more deadly because they're striking uh, pedestrians, you know, higher up in the body uh, as opposed to lower. And so these, uh, these types of interactions are more fatal. But that's just, that's, that, that's a very important element of that we're seeing about how uh, the increased realization for the, the, this public space and how it could be kind of repurposed. And it's, a, it's kind of the responsibility of public officials to see some of these um, dynamics at play. I mean, the, the public officials can't necessarily regulate vehicular size and the manufacturers are gonna be the ones that you know, largely lead that game, but they can regulate how the streets are used. And, uh, and that, that's an important distinction, I think. So we've mentioned a bit about safety and a bit about allowing businesses to expand when it comes to kind of like the repurposing of these streets. Uh, but what would you say some of the biggest um, benefits of repurposing streets, uh, whether it be more permanent or temporary, have been or will be? What would be some of the more kind of benefits? Well, the, the opportunity that we have uh, before us is one that addresses what I would consider to be three major crises. The first crisis is the safety, one that we talked about previously. The second is the environmental crisis. And when you consider the fact that almost 20, 28% of all greenhouse gas emissions come from mobile sources, uh, that's a lot of tailpipe emissions, not to mention the brake wear and the particulate matter that, that falls off of tires, right? So there's a huge environmental cost by increasingly going down the path of the status quo of auto-reliant and auto-dependent travel patterns. An additional crisis that we're increasingly realizing is that uh, dealing with justice, right? So by, by virtue of designing all of our street space around cars, we are therefore disproportionately not addressing the travel and mobility needs of, of the disadvantaged. Now, in, in a lot of cities, this amounts to, you know, 15% of the population that doesn't have direct access to a car. And we, as a society, can do a better job at providing, you know, increased mobility options for those kind of financially disadvantaged populations, either through uh, bike lanes, or through other types of uh, furnishings on the streets that allow all forms of transportation other than having to rely on cars to really play out. So between those three major crises, you know, the safety, the environmental, and kind of the justice, 
you have a win-win-win situation where we can come make up with uh, some pretty substantive changes uh, that address each of those uh, in positive ways that, you know, we didn't really have this, uh, this foresight and this opportunity before. And I think the important thing that we're realizing is that there's this concept uh, referred to as the Overton window, where those that are responsible for the for the uh, decision making, you know, they typically uh, speak to what their electorate is going to afford them to speak about. And there's certain ideas that are inside that window. And when something comes along, like a major pandemic, that really allows people to see streets in a different light, it opens up that window or it shifts it to say, oh, wow, this is a possibility. And we have a opportunity again to say, wow, we can make some kind of uh, needle moving changes that would positively address each of these crises. So we've mentioned some of the pros of making these changes to our streets, um, but are there any disadvantages that might come with this repurposing? I know that you mentioned earlier that, you know, more progressive cities were quick to make um, some of these changes permanent, but do you think that could have any drawbacks? Yeah, there's, there's, um, there, there's always going to be pushback, right? And there's many kind of different types of, of objections that different places are uh, trying to uh, kind of overcome. So one of them is, uh, you know, they're undemocratic. And to a certain extent in some cities, you know, some of these changes are indeed being made in more well-to-do neighborhoods. Uh, and so that is an important consideration that it needs to be put on the table. For example, I know that Oakland's taking uh, extra steps to make sure that that's not necessarily the case. And they're taking a careful inventory of where and how the uh, street closures or street openings more appropriately referred to are, are playing out with respect to the socioeconomic conditions in the cities. Uh, you know, they, they might disadvantage disabled people, they slow down emergency services, they increase air pollution on other roads, they might be bad for local businesses. Uh, you know, these are all concerns that I think uh, are often raised, um, but they're often kind of just singular uh, knee-jerk reactions. When you put it together in the whole uh, enchilada, there's not a lot of negative. These are, uh, the research is showing, for example, that they're not slowing down emergency vehicles. There's uh, increasing uh, studies being done, for example, in, in London, suggesting how and why and where uh, response times from uh, emergency vehicles are not being impeded by what they're referring to as the low stress neighborhoods. They're not necessarily increasing uh, air pollution on the other roads. Um, and they're not necessarily uh, providing a, um, uh, a, a, a uh, un undemocratic uh, condition whereby changes are being made. Yes, some cities are making very quick changes, uh, but they're doing these under, uh, the ones that are successfully doing it are carefully monitoring and carefully kind of assessing the public consensus that's involved with these uh, changes. Now, we've been living with the, some of these repurposed streets, uh, such as with West Pearl Street, um, for a few months now. Uh, do you think that we've had enough time go by to kind of start to understand the real impact that these changes are making? Or do you think we need some more time to kind of figure out what the true impact of these uh, repurposing of streets could have? 
Yeah, John, that's a really difficult question. It's a good one. It depends on the uh, aspect that you're trying to measure. Um, you know, you can kind of quickly tally up the increased tax bases that may have come forth because of more restaurant seating, and you can kind of trace some of that. With, with respect to um, overall activity patterns, though, sometimes yes, other times no. If it's a well-known corridor that is kind of being transformed that most people can see and say, oh, that's a, that, that, that's a spine of my daily travel, and wow, that spine is increasingly being used, uh, you, you are likely to, going to, to see a rise in kind of overall use, bicycling, pedestrian, However, that needs to be tempered. If you were to make a, a, a change on a street that is, you know, on the other side of town that most people kind of don't know about, uh, it takes a while for the word to get out. It takes a while for their travel patterns to uh, cement into a new kind of form of, of, of getting around town. Uh, so a lot of these things are context dependent, um, but it's, it, that's, all, that's all part of the challenge uh, for city planners because, you know, in, in, in 15, 10, uh, 10, 15 years uh, into the future, I do see, maybe in five years into the future, I do see where, you know, city planners can make really quick changes to the nature of streets and they can see how they're uh, going to have some kind of knock-on effects and impacts on traffic patterns. Uh, you know, we see that with Waze right now, for example, in Los Angeles. Uh, there were some neighborhoods who were really getting tired of the cut through traffic and they put down lawn chairs uh, so as to avoid, so as to kind of alter the Waze algorithm uh, that was routing traffic. So there's kind of an instantaneous feedback mechanism that could be uh, played out. And you can imagine a scenario where, you know, 5, 10, 15 years from now, a, a, a kind of a grand czar between uh, the public works and the transportation officials and the uh, city planning office would have this kind of uh, chessboard to, to, to play with uh, and moderate different streets based on different flows. Now, you mentioned in your interview with Seaboulder today, uh, biking was frequently mentioned and sometimes as an alternative to cars, especially for commutes under four or five miles. Um, now, do you think that there's anything that would have to be done to make this major switch, whether it be kind of with um, citizens or constituents, uh, say in Boulder or in major cities? Do you think that there is anything that might have to kind of be promoted or pushed to make this kind of change? Yeah, bicycling has never had a shortage of kind of impediments to get in its way. Um, you know, people don't like to cycle in bad weather. They don't like to cycle uh, in for, for daily purposes. Uh, there's no doubt though, that the, one of the primary deterrents for seeing more bikes on the road, or frankly seeing more human scaled vehicles on the road, bike-like type things, hoverboards or cargo bikes, or even scooters, stems from the danger. People are afraid of riding on the streets next to two ton objects going 30 or 40 miles per hour. It's, it, it's almost that simple, all right? And in order for us to kind of move the needle, in order for us to kind of see some sort of alternative vision, it's gonna be really important for uh, public officials to lay out a complete network, not just a partial network of some improvements here and there like I was speaking about earlier, but a complete network that transforms 
uh, intersections as well as some of the kind of major uh, commuting or, or street arterials. Now, whether or not that is, uh, you know, bikes or uh, bike-like vehicles, I don't think it really matters. What's important is that you're prioritizing a mode that is a lot more quiet, that is more car carbon neutral, that is more egalitarian. And every other time an individual gets in their car in an urban situation, in an urban environment in the US, they're traveling less than four miles. A lot of these types of trips could be easily consumed or, or transferred over to these other kind of bike-like vehicles, especially in more uh, weather temperate, uh, climate temperate environments. If we, if we don't do that, we're continuing to go down the path of the status quo. And the status quo, as we've learned over the years, doesn't, isn't really necessarily getting us to an ending point that is uh, that much better, right? It's, we're still exasperating some of these trends uh, that are now mounting into huge, huge crises. So I, I do think that there's a uh, huge benefit to considering bike-like vehicles. Uh, I mean, they are more cost-efficient, they're certainly more energy-efficient. There's no single vehicle out there or a human riding a bike that's the most, that is the most energy-efficient way of getting around town. But it's the safety element that's really going get, to get in the way. Uh, and streets are going to play a huge role in that. And we have the opportunity now to kind of realize that and change that. So what kind of actions might you suggest people take? Um, or what might you suggest for those who are interested in continue, continuing to repurpose these streets? Well, there's a lot of roles for a lot of different individuals, right? So the first thing is for all of us to be a little bit more open-minded uh, about what was happening uh, on our streets and the alternative futures that could um, likely come to fruition. I see that there's a uh, role and a responsibility for city planners to keep kind of keep pushing on this envelope uh, to allow their constituencies, primarily, you know, the elected officials to, uh, have this type, these types of conversations uh, on, on the front of their uh, on, on the front of their discussions. The, the, the there is a role for the um, citizens, though uh, the everyday citizens, where you know I think we we all can be uh, well served by being a little bit more open minded to seeing that there's some changes that are going on and saying, oh, what is this about? What's happening here? Uh, is this something that is not necessarily conceived of in what is it going to take away from me, but what is it going to provide our city as a whole? And um, the, the, uh, the changes that we're seeing, they might be on a kind of two-week basis, they might be on a two-month basis, they might be on a two-year basis. Uh, and I think each of those types of experiments are going to allow us to continue to try new ideas out uh, and, you know, even with a, just a, a, as simple as a sawhorse and, you know, a sandwich board, we can kind of reconceptualize and open up people's aperture about some possibilities that are out there. And we don't necessarily always need to uh, provide a knee-jerk reaction to like, oh, how is this, you know, imposing some sort of restraining order on me? Well, that is all the questions I have right now, but is there anything else you would like to say to our audience while we have the time, while we're speaking, or is there anything you'd like to leave for them as a last note? 
I think all of this kind of suggests that there's uh, new rules, new expectations that can guide how street space is being used, uh, you know, based on human scale vehicles that are smaller, quiet, and travel at reasonable speeds. And by putting all these factors together, there is a huge, huge possibility that we can make a dent in uh, the problems that have been plaguing society for years, for centuries now, uh, those related to justice, environmental costs, and now safety. And so that Overton window has really opened, and it's important for us now to seize that opportunity. Professor Krasik, thank you. Thanks a lot, John. I appreciate it.